You know, when it came to the birth of Jesus, and we try to put ourselves back there in Israel and thinking like a Jew, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, the forever king who was gonna reign over a forever kingdom. And that was the expectation because at that time, Israel was in a place where they were under the rule of Rome and they were looking for that king to come who would deliver them from the rule of Rome and set up his kingdom among them. Now, I'm gonna put John 1 on the screen here. And one thing we learn is, is that when it comes to the Messiah, that when we read in scripture, we think of the word Christ, it means the exact same thing. Because we see here in John 1, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Every Jew would know what that means which translated means Christ. When they translated it into the Greek, that meant Christ. And so when they use the word Christ, and when we read it in scripture, right away they go to the idea of a Messiah. But we may, I wanna bring it down one more level for us this morning, because when we think of the word Messiah, or we think of the word Christ, we should be thinking of the word King. Now turn to Matthew chapter one in your Bibles. And again, unfortunately, uh, much like two weeks ago, now that you're in chapter one, it'll be very easy to find chapter two because uh, this is where we really want to start reading this morning. Verse one of Matthew chapter two. Listen to what he says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Interesting, the Magi come and they're, they're looking for the king of the Jews. And right away as King Herod knew that, emperor of that area and dealing with the Jewish people knew that meant Messiah. So he went back and called all their they're leading scholars together and their leaders and said, where was the Messiah to be born? King and Messiah are synonymous. King and Christ is synonymous. And so when we see in scripture over and over again, Jesus Christ, we're being reminded that Jesus is the King, the one who has come to fulfill the promises that God has made. And we're doing a series called The Rest of the Story. The rest of the story about Christmas. And we're learning the fact that the phrase that we often hear connected with Christmas is Jesus was born to die in order to save us from our sins. Absolutely true, but there's more to the story than that. And we're gonna see this morning that Jesus was born to be king, to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. And the expectations 
of every Jew at that time when they were looking for Jesus. Now, you know, again, we're always trying to be fair to the text, see what it says, but then we want to move it eventually to what it means to us, and we'll do that this morning. But we got to start with what did it mean to the Jew when they were looking for a king? And their expectations were really shaped by the Old Testament. That was the book they studied. That was the book they heard about this king. This is where um, all their hopes were shaped, both about the king and about the kingdom. So I just want to summarize for you just what they would have been thinking in their minds as they're waiting for this king to come and deliver them. Actually, from the Old Testament, they learned that this king would be God himself. And he would dwell in their midst as a victorious warrior who would judge their enemies and save Israel so that they could dwell in safety forever. They knew he was going to be one from the line of David and that he would be born in Bethlehem. I just want to say something about that. I, just this morning as I was reviewing and preparing, I was struck with that. Because as we just read in Matthew, not only was King Herod, but all of Jerusalem was stirred by the news that the Messiah was born. Now they would have known he was to be born in Bethlehem. This was only about five to seven miles a little bit south of Jerusalem. I'm just shocked. And I just wonder how many of us are in the same state. Here's this group of people who have been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. Somebody comes and says he was born. They're all troubled about it. I can't believe they didn't take a walk. It wouldn't be much more than an afternoon walk down to see, wow, is the Messiah here? What's going on? But they didn't. And I wonder how many of us waiting for Jesus to return. And again, we just, we, we kind of get lulled to sleep by years of waiting and hearing. And how many of us are much like the Jews at that time that knew he was to be born in Bethlehem, heard that a supernatural star appeared, and these guys came from way over way to come and see their king and not a person lifted a finger. I hope today that my heart and your heart hasn't kind of got lured into just the knowledge and the information of the Bible and have lost the expectation because as they were waiting for a king to be born, we're waiting for the king to return. And might our hearts be ready and excited, especially as we see the signs of the day. They knew that this king was going to enter into Jerusalem on a donkey and that he would be their king forever over God's kingdom ruling over all the world from Jerusalem. They knew he'd be anointed by the Spirit of God and that he would be the king, he would be the priest, he would be a prophet much like Moses in whom his mouth, God would put his words to speak. And he'd preach good news to the brokenhearted and to those who were in prison. He would be a faithful shepherd to them who would care for them. And the whole nature of his kingdom would be supernatural, full of miracles. And he would heal their infirmities. Now this is the mind of the Jew at that time. It was shaped by the Old Testament as they're waiting for this king to come. So as we kind of talk about from that time on for us, we need to understand this about Jesus. 
We often talk about he was born a king. We've got to remember Jesus was a king before he was even born. Interesting, in John chapter 12, that uh, as John is writing this, he's writing a little commentary as Jesus had an exchange with some of the religious leaders, that John tells him this, that great vision of God sitting on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 and the great glory of the king on the throne at that time, John tells us that who Isaiah saw there was Jesus. Jesus was a king before he was ever born. Then we see that when he was born, what happened to the angels, and we read the verse this morning, or we sang it in the song, I can't remember which, I think we read the verse, where the angels announced that the Messiah is born, the king is born, the king has come for all the people. And so the angels announced it. The Magi affirmed it as they came from the east, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? King Herod was so believed it so much that he went and sought to kill and actually killed the children in Bethlehem because he didn't want a competing king in his kingdom. And so we have this um, scripture, the book of Matthew was written to actually prove, was written to the Jews by Matthew to prove to them that Jesus was the Christ that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the king. Jesus claimed that himself he was the king. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. Remember in Luke 4, after he came out of the wilderness, the very first thing Jesus did would get recorded as he was in, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he was reading from the scripture a passage from Isaiah about the Messiah himself. And then Jesus said this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, they knew exactly what he was saying. In fact, they knew so much that when Jesus got done there, they tried to throw him out of the city and kill him for claiming to be the Messiah himself. In John chapter 4, remember the Samaritan woman, there was a little discussion. Well, the Samaritans say you worship over here and in this way. The Jews say, no, you worship this way over here. And she said to Jesus, saying, but we know when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us what the way to worship is. And Jesus said, the one you're speaking to, I'm he, I'm the Messiah. So then she ran back and told the people in the city and brought them back. You move into Matthew 16. You see Jesus with his disciples. And he said to them this. You know, after asking, who do people say that I am? And they're all saying, you know. Then he says, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said this. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Paraphrased, Jesus, you're the king who we've been waiting for who's come to fulfill all of God's promises, you are the Son of God. That means you are God himself. And Jesus' response was this, blessed are you, Peter, because you didn't figure this out. This isn't about flesh and blood revealing this to you, but my Father in heaven has given you a supernatural revelation to see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the King. He's God himself. Then we go to the triumphal entry. And as we read the book of Matthew, Matthew says this, Jesus was coming in on a donkey, and he said this was 
this happened to fulfill the prophecy about the king would come to you riding on a donkey. So Matthew was showing them that this whole event of the triumphal entry was to prove that Jesus was the king and he was coming to Jerusalem. The crowds cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, because son of David, in their mind, this is the one from the line of David who came to be king. Uh, they also said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds recognized. And then what did the Pharisees, Jesus, tell them to stop. Do you hear what they're saying? They're telling, they're saying, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, guess what? If they stop, the rocks will cry out. This truth is so big and so important that nature screams out the reality of who Jesus is. Then you come to Matthew chapter 26. And Jesus is standing in front of the high priest in the trials as he's gone through these different people. And now is his final trial before the high priest. And he asks him directly, are you the Christ, the Son of God? Now here's a direct question. <laughs> Much like Peter, is, you know, he said, question is, are you the coming king, the Messiah, who's going to be the king over all the nations? Are you God himself? And Jesus said, I am. And the high priest, who obviously knew the Old Testament like a black belt in karate, he was so angry and upset about Jesus' response that he tore his robes and said he blasphemed and he's worthy of death. And that's when they took Jesus and they began to mock him and beat him. And what did they mock him about? You know, as the, as the guys were beating him and put the crown on his head, they were mocking him and saying, oh, king of the Jews. And then finally we hear about his trial in front of Pilate. And a discussion that Pilate has with him and says, are, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, this is, this is what they brought you for. This is what this is all about. And after this discussion, Pilate asked him the direct question, are you the king of the Jews? And listen to what Jesus said in John 18, verse 37. Therefore, Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. And for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. The rest of the story, why was Jesus born? He wasn't born just to be our savior. He was born to be the king. And as we're going to see here in a few moments, not just the king of Israel, not just the king of the nations, not just the king or the head of the church, but the king of every one of our lives. Jesus answered again directly, straightforward, yes, I'm the king. And he said, this is the rest of the story of why I was born. And then he says, I came to testify the truth. Now, to keep this in context, now we can pull that out and say Jesus came to testify the truth and then start to deal with a whole series about truth and say all this and that. But the truth is, is that he is a king. And in context, he said, this is the truth I came to testify, the fact that I'm a king. What happened at the cross? What was the inscription put upon the cross that said that there was the accusation why Jesus was dying? King of the Jews. 
And what did the religious leaders say? Hey, take that down. You can't put that up there. Put down. He said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate says, no, no. What I've written, I've written. And even Jesus' death was because he was the king. He was a king before he was born. He was a king at his birth. He, he, he's a, he was a king at his death. And praise God, he's a king now and he's a returning king even yet in the future. Jesus always was, always is, and always will be a king. And not only a king, he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Now, a king simply is this. Let's break this down as we try it again. How, how does this work for you and me? A king is a person that has the right to rule. They have the right to direct. They have the right to command they have the right to give orders that are to be followed. They're the person of the highest rank and the highest position and the highest status in any kingdom. They're preeminent, as they say, they have first place. Now, I want to take us down a step further here with this, and I want to relate something. The Lord Jesus Christ, a king is a Lord. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, when we think of a Lord, uh, Pete, put up Luke 6.46. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You see, the response to a Lord is obedience. The response to a King is obedience. The response to the Christ is obedience because back in Daniel chapter 7, I think it is, with that great vision of the Son of Man coming up to the ancient of days and receiving a kingdom, he says that, that all the nations of the world will serve and obey him. And so here we've got Jesus, as I said, synonymous with Messiah is Christ, synonymous with Christ is king, synonymous with king is Lord. And so when you bring it down to earth, to how does it fit for you and me? It's about obedience. When I think about Jesus as my savior, then I relate to him on the basis of faith and dependence and reliance, because as I trust in him, I'm born again. When I think of him as my Lord, I think about obedience. Am I responding to the name of Jesus as Lord is a response of obedience. Now, if you're like me, you, the, the closest thing we know to a king is King Charles over in England right now. And um, when we think of him as king, we think of a guy who's distant from his people and a guy who makes decisions or whatever that really kind of lightly impact them, it doesn't really impact their daily life. So we think Jesus is a lot like that. He's the king of the universe. Well, yeah, that, that, I'm still, I got this daily life, I'm living in this universe. Well, he's the king of the angels, and he's the king of the kings, and he's the Lord of all lords, and he's the king of the nations, he's the king of Israel. So we kind of think in a long-distance way about Jesus as king and think it really doesn't have that big of an impact on me. But here's the reality. 
He's an up-close king who is king not only of the universe and over all the kingdoms and nations and kings and even the church, but he's the king of my life. And that's why he was born. And that's why he came. He's an up-close, present king right now over his people. Turn to Colossians 1.16. I want to show you this in Scripture. Colossians 1.16. I'll start in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, we're learning some things about Jesus here. Verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the exact representation, the exact essence, everything that God is, Jesus is. Now before I, need to, uh, you, before I read this next phrase, you need to understand, as God, he's eternal. He's the uncaused cause of everything else that exists. And he's the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God himself. He became the visible picture of the invisible God for us, the firstborn of all creation. Now, some people take that phrase and they take it out of context. They see, Jesus was born. Well, the phrase before says he's God. He couldn't have been born. As God, he, matter of fact, we learned in the next verse, he was the creator of everything that was created. Firstborn can be used one of two ways. It can be used of birth order, or it can be used of the rights or the privileges that the firstborn child has in a family. And in this passage, we're going to see the emphasis is on the rights and the privilege and the status and the preeminence that Jesus has over all creation as God himself. And we'll see that borne out as we read this passage. As he goes on and says this, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We're not gonna find our meaning and our essence and our joy until we get in line for what we've been created for. We've been created for Jesus. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that, here's the reason why, this is why all this is, he himself will come to have first place in everything. First place. The English Standard Version calls it preeminent, which if you're like me, you say, what in the world is preeminent? So I do what I do. I open up my Webster's Dictionary and say, what is preeminent? It's simply the person that's before everything else in importance and is a paramount in rank. There's, there is no one who is more important than Jesus. There's nobody of a higher rank than Jesus himself. The message says it this way. He's towering far above 
all things and all people. Jesus is way above everybody and everything. The Amplified says it this way, he's supreme and preeminent in everything. Sounds like a king to me, doesn't it? Jesus has come to be my king and your king. Yeah, he's coming back to set up a kingdom here on earth. But he's already king. Matter of fact, he was king before he was born. He always was, always is, always will be a king. The greatest of kings, king of all kings and lord of all lords, and even up close over our lives. So, here's the question for us this morning. Does Jesus have first place in your life? Is he preeminent over everything in your life? Matter of fact, this morning, if we could do an x-ray and if Isaiah was sitting in the room and he could see into each one of our hearts, would he see Jesus again sitting on the throne of our hearts and all the glory of Jesus reigning in our life as king? Or would they see ourselves on the throne? and treating Jesus like our servant to help us out get what we want. So I just want to close with doing like, you know, you go into the primary care doctor, he does a basic check. You know, checks the, is everything okay? And I just want to do a little basic check today and ask how we're doing. You know, they'll pull out that thing and listen to your heart and is the blood flowing okay? How's your heart today? How are your affections? Let's let's start there. Is Jesus first place and preeminent in your affections? Is he the greatest love of your life? Is he the delight of your heart? And believe it or not, some people can compete with this actually with sports teams and political agendas and achievements and positions and pleasures and things, other people, other relationships. We even can be tempted to put our family above Jesus. But here's the question we got to ask this morning. Is Jesus Christ the Lord over my affections? Is he the one whom my heart is loving and delighting? about my motives? Is everything we're doing to bring glory to God or just to bring pleasure to myself and get what I want? That's a question we have to ask. If Jesus is Lord over everything, I gotta ask, is he even the reason why I do what I do? How about our choices? I mean, what gets closer to a king than our choices? Are my choices consistent? with the choices that Jesus would make if Jesus was living in my shoes, in my situation, uh, in my daily life. Am I making the choices Jesus would make? And guess what? Jesus is not just in our shoes, he's in our heart (laughs) by his spirit. So I gotta ask myself, even when it comes to me, is Jesus the Lord of my choices? Are the decisions I'm making, because guys, this is where I get hit every once in a while, I got my wants and I got my desires and I got my will. And guess what? Once in a while, 
what God wants and God desires in his will, they come in crossroads. And I gotta say, Lord, your will. Jesus, rest with that in the garden, not my will but thine be done. And if Jesus is Lord in my life, if he's really the king, am I making decisions that are consistent with the decisions Jesus would make? How about our head? How about our thoughts? Is Jesus at the center of my thoughts? Is he the focus? Am I thinking on things that are lovely and true? As his word says, is Jesus the Lord of my head? For some, the challenge is the stock market might be the Lord of our heads. As we worry day in and day out, as we watch it fall, and all of a sudden it begins to control our hearts and minds. Is Jesus the one who has our thoughts and what's true and pure? How about our tongues? Is he the Lord of my speech? Do my words bring glory to Jesus and point people to Jesus? Do my words build up and encourage other people or are my words tearing down other people? How about our assets? Everything we own really belongs to Jesus. We are managers of his possessions. This isn't my stuff, it's Jesus' stuff. Everything I have in my hands, everything that's a part of my life belongs to Jesus. And if Jesus really is my King and my Lord, then I'm living as a manager. And what would a manager do? The manager looks to the boss and says, what do you want me to do with this? And how do you want me to manage it? And how do you want me to run it? So everything we have, are we running it as our own? Or are we seeing it that it really belongs to Jesus? My money. Am I honoring God with the first fruits of my money? Am I doing as he says in our word to give regularly and consistently and generously to your local church? Are you supporting missionaries so that the message of Jesus can go around the world? That's part of the Lordship of Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus said this. He really used money as the great test to say whether he really has our heart or not in Matthew. And the, the test of a person's heart is often seen in their wallet. And we can say Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King, and I can even sing songs and cry as I do that. But the real test is what does my wallet say about Jesus? Am I honoring him with the first fruits, the best of what comes in, and giving generously to his work. How about our relationships? We have relationships with one another in the body of Christ. We were never designed as believers in Christ to live alone. The way the Christian life is designed that we live together, interdependent upon one another and utterly dependent upon Jesus. And Jesus brings many of the graces I need and the gifts that I need from brothers and sisters around me that I walk with. And I hope that I bring some of the things and the gifts and the graces that people need as I walk around them. Are you living in relationship with brothers and sisters in a way that we're rubbing off in each other's walk with Jesus? 
or am I being more influenced by the world and have forgotten the instruction where the scripture says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. And when I start to hang around people and I make them my intimate friends, now certainly we need to have a witness. I'm not saying we're separating ourselves from the world, but this is the question. Are the friends of the world having a greater influence over you than the friends of Jesus? If they are, I think you're in a dangerous place because the friends of Jesus need to be influencing the way you think and the things you value and the philosophies that you live by and become the support what you need in life. And then finally, what about Jesus? Speaking of relationships, speak of Christmas. Does Jesus have first place in your Christmas? Does he have first place in my Christmas, in my plans, in my conversations? You know, in my family gatherings, in my decorations. You know, I love this. Last year, you know, we have a manger in front of our house. We didn't put it up this year for different reasons. Nothing to do with spiritual. We got some surgery coming in the family. We don't want to have to deal with it after Christmas. But I loved it last year because, you know, we have some people on our block that got some amazing Christmas deck. They're, they're intimidating. They're big. They're blown up. They're just like, whoa. And we got our little humble manger scene in front of our house. But I'll never forget getting up one morning and driving down the street. And when the machines were off, there was Santa Claus down on the ground like this. And all the other, I thought, how cool, because our manger scene was still standing, as simple as it was, all these other idols, sort of say, and I'm not against celebrating, don't, don't, but you know what, guys, are we putting our trust in making, Lord, the things that we can pump up with air, that when the air stops, they fall apart? Or is Jesus even the center of our Christmas? Is he the center of our conversations with our kids? Or is the center of the gifts we're going to get our kids? Our music. I, I love, you know, Silver Bells. I still cry to that one. I love that song and some of those things. But man, there's nothing like Oh Holy Night. Or Little Drummer Boy. Love that one. And some of the other great songs of Jesus. You know, is Jesus a part or is it all about the emotion of I'm dreaming of a white Christmas? Is your Christmas ruined because there's no snow on the ground? It can be. I've had Christmases ruined because of that. And you know what? That's because Jesus was. I should be up in the morning so excited and so thrilled that the king of the universe of the world, of the nations, of the church, of my life was born on this day, and there is no king that is greater than him. There is no Lord that is a greater Lord than him, and his kingdom will endure forever. And he's a supernatural God that works miracles, and he works miracles in my life daily as I rely upon him. So that's the heart check this morning. Is Jesus your Lord? Yeah, you're trusting him for salvation. I am too. But am I obeying him as the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, he's my boss. Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Messiah, King. The Lord Jesus Christ. How is your relationship with him this morning? And I just want you to take a second to think, how's God speaking to you this morning? What is that still small voice of the Spirit of God saying to you this morning as you listen to this? 
And then I'd like to encourage you to do this. Say, Jesus, what do you want me to do about it? What, what, what first step of obedience do I need to take to respond to what the Lord is speaking to your heart about this morning?